Today's word comes from the book of 1 John, chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I um, am very excited um, to bring today's message to you um, because I believe that God's Spirit is going to do something mighty in your life today. Not because of me, but because of the promise of the gospel. And that is a universal truth that is true no matter what. And um, as we gather here in faith, um, I believe that God is going to do a good work, a great work in your life today. And so I would ask, you know, as I bring this message to you today, that you have an open heart and an open mind and a spirit of anticipation and um, a little bit of interaction too. Um, And so let me pray. Lord, you are so good. And we are here in your house, sitting at your table. Lord, feed us. (laughs) Feed us. You are the grand chef. And whatever you prepared for us, we want to receive. Because we know, we believe that you are good. And so whatever you give us is good for us. And we know that your word discerns to the very marrow of our bones, and to the very intentions of our hearts. Lord, everything is laid bare before your word. And that's good, because we can then be freed from deception and freed into truth. And in truth is you. So we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, let me ask you this question. Uh, I want you to be thinking about um, just your own week. Kind of have your own week in mind this past week that you, you went through. And I want you to think about this question. In that time, did you ever uh, say something or maybe, maybe did you do something to someone who's important to you, someone that you value, that later on maybe you feel kind of bad about? Um, you know, maybe, maybe you're, you had such a good week, you, don't, you can't think of anything, so you got to think maybe a few weeks beyond, you know, maybe last month or a couple months ago. Something that you said or something that you did to someone that you value, and later on you're just like, why did I do that? If I could, I, I, I would just turn back time. Did you, have you ever experienced regret like that? Um, I have. 
Maybe on some days, you know, you, you just have some kind of bitterness about something. You just wake up with some kind of bitterness. Um, and you have some kind of maybe a disdain for someone. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's an annoying coworker. Maybe it's the baby that's crying and waking you up and you haven't slept in like two hours and uh, you know, you're waking up again. Or maybe it's your spouse who's sleeping through that baby's crying and you're like, how is this my spouse sleeping through this? Oh my gosh, I just want to strangle him. Maybe I'll put a pillow on his face and why am I saying his face? Her face too, right? It goes both ways. Like we just wake up with this disdain for someone or something. Some kind of darkness just in our heart. The first t- day, you know, first minute that we wake up. I know that I have experienced all of that. And these are all examples of tensions that we um, are embroiled in. And these are all tensions that are going inside, uh, going on inside of our spirits. And another term for this tension is spiritual battle. Spiritual battle. So, you know, as you can see, even just from these few examples, and we'll, we'll go over some more, even if we aren't consciously aware of all the spiritual battles that are constantly happening both inside of us and around us, the negative impact and fallout from these spiritual battles that a lot of times we're not even aware of, they affect us on a very real level. And this is why the title of today's message is The Reality of Spiritual Battles in Us. We need to be aware that there are spiritual battles that affect us in every single way, every single day. Now, this is just a single sermon today, so there's no way I'm going to be able to cover everything about this topic of spiritual battle. But what I want to share with you today is I do want to give you the most basic and fundamental and therefore I believe the most important uh, principles pertaining to spiritual battles so that you can come away and leave today equipped, more equipped than you came when you came in, right? So, yes, there's a lot to talk about, but, um, you know, and if after my message today uh, you have any questions about any of the things that we talked about and other things that may be related, please, please don't hesitate to ask me um, after the message and, um, you know, we can, if not today, you know, um, we can always contact each other through email, email me, and we can set up a time for us to chat, okay? Because this is very, very important because it affects everybody. Now, the aim for today is threefold. Number one, um, I want to help us to be aware of the reality of spiritual battles inside our lives. Because the more unaware we are, the more vulnerable you are to spiritual attacks. And I don't think anybody here wants to be more vulnerable than we need to be to spiritual attacks. And a lot of that has to do with how aware are you on a daily basis of just the spiritual battles that are going on. Number two, um, I want us to gain a basic understanding of what's actually happening in these spiritual battles, like what is actually going on. And the reason I want to go over that is so, so that number three, you can then be equipped to be able to you know, fortify yourself and fight against and push back um, in these spiritual battles. And then to finally experience victory. Amen? 
We want to experience victory. So um, that's our aim today. And um, it is a topical sermon, so I'm going to be jumping around different various passages of God's Word related to this topic. So try to stay with me, okay? We will be jumping around, but um, it's going to be good. So, number one, what is spiritual battle? Um, well, for that, as with everything, and if you've been in my discipleship group, you know what the answer to that question is. It's the answer to every question. What does God's Word say? What does the Bible say about that? So what does the Bible tell us about spiritual battle? For starters, there's a lot, but for starters, look at verse 10 of our passage today. And it says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Hmm. I know when I read that, I was immediately thinking about myself. Do I practice righteousness? Not all the time. So am I not of God? Nor is the one who does not love his brother. Hmm. Are there times when I don't love my brother? Yeah, if I'm being honest. And yet God's word here is saying that if we don't do this, we are not of God. And if we're not of God, then we are children, as it says here, of the devil. Verse 10. Verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever does not love dwells within, inside of death. So we have this tension that we talked about earlier, right? Between what we know God's word to be, because it's already all written and unchangeable here, okay? We know the path that we're supposed to take, and yet there are times where we don't take that path. And that tension, that is the spiritual battle. Now, um, as these verses indicate, <clears throat> um, it, it chooses to illustrate this tension with the language of children. Children is a language of belonging, isn't it? It's a language of including, right? And also excluding. The topic here in uh, 1 John 3 is who we belong to. In our spirits, we all belong to somebody. Either we belong to God, or as he revealed his name to be Yahweh, which means I am. We belong to I am, to Yahweh. And so, as a result of belonging to Yahweh, we have then passed from death into life. Or, we belong to the devil. We are children of the devil, it says here. And thus, as children of the devil, we have not passed into life, but... Instead, we abide, we remain in death. Now, both the prophets of the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay, it's not just picking and choosing selective reading here. The entire Bible, including Jesus Christ, repeatedly teaches that every human being comes under one of those two groups of belonging, either of God or of the devil. And our ultimate place will be the result of whom we belong to. Yahweh or the devil. Now, with Yahweh, we have truth, absolute truth, because 
The very fabric of reality comes from God. He is, he, the word was with God, the word was God, and everything in the world that was made was made through the word. So the very fabric of reality, the chairs that you sit on, the air that we breathe, the, the, the molecules that make up our body, all of that was designed, created through God's word. So as you can see, that is the very basis of truth, of reality. So in Yahweh is truth, and thus out of truth is love and joy and patience and kindness, goodness, the wholeness of Shalom, God's design, His perfect design, eternal life. And with the devil, on the other hand, are things such as lies. I mean, if God is truth, then the devil, his aim is to steer you away from truth, which is just another way of saying lies, untruth, or half-truths, which sometimes are more effective than outright lies, right? Little half-truths. Hate. Disdain, condescension, slander, envy, the occult, disorder, destruction, death, eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth is how Jesus describes it. I once uh, spoke at a youth retreat, and sometimes it's very effective with people of that age to give a visual illustration of weeping and gnashing. And so weeping and gnashing of teeth, I decided to do that and. And people told me afterwards, man, that was really scary. So I don't think I'll do that here, but um, I don't know. It's go, to, go, go home <laughs> today, look in the mirror, and try to do your best rendition of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you will scare yourself, all right? You will scare yourself, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's how Jesus, who is truth, describes the things of the devil in our ultimate place if we are children of the devil. The tensions between these two contrasting sets of characteristics can be seen happening all around us and inside of us on a daily basis. So what are some examples of, you know, spiritual battles that happen every day? And these are sometimes very subtle. Uh, one example would be inside of your family dynamics, right? And how you tend to react a certain way. There's a pattern of reaction, a pattern of speech. And sometimes those patterns are not very good, right? Even that, something as, as simple as that, the way we talk, that is fraught with spiritual battle. We can talk according to the way we know God wants us to speak and use the mouth that he gave us, or we can use it as a tool of, of the devil sowing dissension and hurt and destruction, right? And division where there was no division. Or how about when we listen to a podcast and maybe the messages of that podcast or maybe it's a video or maybe it's a Netflix series and as you listen to it, you know what you're doing is you're consuming the ideologies and the worldview of whoever is producing that, that content. You're taking that content in. Sometimes it's great content, sometimes it's not so great. Whatever content you consume, it will influence you. And it gradually starts to form and influence your own worldview and even just your mood. Let me give you an example. Years ago, there was this TV show um, on HBO called The Sopranos. Some of you have seen this show. 
as far as production value and the plot line, it's amazing. It's an amazing TV series. Unfortunately, though, as I was watching this, it's a, it's a TV series about the mafia, and it's on HBO, so they try to be as realistic as possible in portraying and depicting the life and the culture of, uh, of the mafia, the mob. And so, as you can imagine, there's a lot of words that you wouldn't repeat. There's a lot of actions that we wouldn't do. But I found that I was so um, interested in the story because it was so well produced and so well written and so well acted, which it was, that I was unknowingly swallowing that, all that production value, and then also swallowing the evil messages kind of embedded within. And so, guess what? I started when, like, I'd be driving, something happens on the road, and I get cut off. You know what would come out of my mouth? Some stuff that I would never even before think to say. I was scared to death as a young person to swear. I just was, okay? Just whatever you want to call that, square, goody two-shoes. That's who I was, all right? I never really swore as a young person. And here I was as a pastor saying, thinking these words because, simply because I had been watching and immersing myself in this video, in this content. Do you see? That's a spiritual battle that's going on. I didn't even really realize. All I was, for me, I'm just watching a TV show that's really well written. What's wrong with that? Art, culture, right? All in the name of good music or good art. I swallow these evil messages that actually take me to a place where I don't want to be, where I know I shouldn't be, because I'm a child of God, or at least I thought I was. That daily tension between the things of the devil and the things of Yahweh is where we find that spiritual battle, this thing we call spiritual battle. And we can either respond to things, and do things that are in line with God's word, which he already revealed to, his, to us, his will. By the way, if you want to know what God's will is, it's right here for you. All right here. Or I can follow something else that is not in line with God's word. That's the spiritual battle. And I think all of us now can begin to see that, oh, this spiritual battle thing, it's not just like when I come Sunday. It's not just uh, when I go to church. It's not just when I have a conversation with a pastor or I go to a GLF. Or No, it's happening all the time. Are you aware of that? We need to be aware of that because the more unaware we are, the more vulnerable you become to spiritual attacks and your family. The stakes are high. Now, some of us may hear this and say, well, you know, I don't have a problem with the devil. I don't, you know, really care about the devil. I don't think about the devil much. And I just want to tell you this. That's exactly what the devil wants you to think. He doesn't want you to think about him. And you know what the truth is? You may not be thinking about the devil, but the devil is thinking about you. And he's thinking of ways to trip you up 
And he's thinking of ways to keep you docile and sleeping and unaware. Because the more unaware and comfortable you are, the more we just kind of are complacent and we don't want to change our surroundings. And if Satan already has us in his grips, why would he want us to change our surroundings? He's going to do everything he can to keep us comfortable and docile and satisfied and complacent. I don't want to change anything. You may not be thinking about the devil, but he's thinking about you. How do I know this? Is this just, you know, some kind of, uh, I'm just saying this to scare you? No. I'm getting this from God's word. Thankfully, Yahweh gives us a warning about the devil. And he gives us a warning because he loves you. Here's what he says about the devil. Do we have that? First uh, Peter 5. Thank you. Let's read this together. The devil is like a lion looking to devour. This is 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Read that. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. God, who is the truth teller, he never lies, when asked, or not asked, but when giving us a description of the devil, this is what God comes up with. Do you think he's exaggerating? No. He's being very, very descriptive of who the devil is. Do we care about the devil? Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But the devil, you can be sure, is looking. And he's prowling. And he's seeking someone to devour. Here's another piece of teaching that God gives us. The next slide. About the devil. Let's read that together. The devil is a liar who aims to deceive you in order to mislead you. So let's read that together, 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So again, you see this of God and not of God. And we have characteristics of God and people of God and the characteristics when you are children of the devil. This is John chapter 8. 
another very, very descriptive, explicitly descriptive, and for good reason, because he loves us, of the devil and his methods and his goals. <clears throat> now think about this. Um, you know, let's say you're walking down a street minding your own business and someone comes at you with, uh, or, you know, you're with your family too, or maybe your friends or with your church members with a knife. You know, you didn't want that, but the battle has been brought to you, hasn't it? Right? In that case, we all say, what? I, I hope I know some kind of, you know, self-defense, right? Some kind of... Some of those videos that are out there about what to do when someone comes at you with a knife or a gun. It's like, oh, if I just do this, then yeah, you know. I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, anyway, right? So when that happens, we, we all immediately, our reflex is, oh, I, you know, we, I got to know some kind of self-defense. Well, if that's true for physical attacks, how much more true do you think it's for spiritual attacks? So do you know, let me ask us, do we know spiritual self-defense? Do you? We've got to ask ourselves, how much spiritual self-defense do I actually know and am equipped with so that I can handle these spiritual attacks that are happening all the time? The devil is not playing around. He is not playing around. He doesn't care about you. There's no do-overs. There's no grace period. There's no, I was just kidding. <laughs> no, he, he's after you. The stakes are high. He's after you. He's after your family. The devil is not playing around. And he's going to do whatever he can and lie to you and keep you in, deceive, in a deceived state as long as he can keep you so that you just stay there vulnerable to his attack, resting in the wrong ways. Um, I think <clears throat> something that we ought to also think about is if he really is a lion, you know, compared to a lion who's prowling around looking for someone to devour, um, and we're the prey, right, in that metaphor, um, given to us there in First Peter, then if we're the prey, what's the bait? <laughs> That's one way that you can start to equip yourself for spiritual battle. What's the bait? And once you identify what the normal, typical bait are, you can be a little more aware and not be so naive and foolish, right? Like tricking a little baby. It's easy to trick a little baby. So what is a bait? The bait can be basically whatever you like. <laughs> the devil knows exactly what each one of us likes, unfortunately. Um, that deadly trap, you know, if it's a bear trap trying to catch us, he's going to put whatever... Um, sweet things you like. Maybe for you, it's like dreams of worldly success. And so he's going to put that out there, and he's going to whisper 
through different podcasts and videos, or even, heck, just driving down the street here in San Jose, right? It's like, wow, look at that house. Wow, look at that house. Wow, look at that house. Wow, look at it. For sale. Oh, pending already. That was just like, that was fast. That was like 10 minutes ago. It was like, what, what am I doing? Right? And you start to get this envy. See, the spiritual battle is everywhere, right? We're at work. Promotions. Promotions that you feel like you deserve and it goes to somebody else. What is the bait? The bait can be these um, very new philosophies maybe that get you excited, that help you understand how the world works and gives you an explanation of why there's good and why there's evil. And you've never heard it before and so it must be new and it must be true. And the Bible tells us there's nothing new under the sun. All these philosophies, they're just recycled. And guess who is kind of behind these recycled lies but put in new packages and given different ideologies and philosophies? It's the devil. All these self-images that we have of ourselves. Man, social media, that is one of the most powerful bait um, that's causing an epidemic of a host of problems for like a certain generation and, and, well, everybody for that matter. Because what's the lie? What's the bait there? The bait is you're accepted. The bait is you're popular. The bait is we like you. Like, 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 like. I have a billion likes. That means a million people like me. Really? I don't think so. That's a lie. It's just a click of a button. Doesn't mean they love you. Doesn't mean they'll die for you. Doesn't mean they'll sacrifice for you. Doesn't mean they care about what's going on in your life. And eventually, as human beings, we get to under we we catch on to this and we realize, oh my gosh. <laughs> what is all this for? I feel so distraught when I put a con a piece of content out there and nobody likes it. Bait. Self-image. Or how about daydreams of vengeance against someone you don't like? You know? And so that's bait that Satan lays out for us. And we go, oh, yeah, what if that happened to that person? Yeah, that'd be so cool. What if that person got fired? Yeah, I'd be so happy about that. I wouldn't tell anybody, of course, but I'd be very happy about it. And again, as this is happening, you're being led towards Death, destruction, lies, disdain, hate, bitterness, and you're being led further and further away from the things of God. Bait. So this is a good spot to <clears throat> look at kind of, maybe I'll provide for you a schematic of um, what happens in spiritual battle. And then um, I'll give you uh, some examples. So, um, what is the devil's ultimate aim? I alluded to it, you know, throughout this message. Basically, that um, the Bible tells us that ultimately the devil, his ultimate aim is to entice you into any direction of life as long as it's not towards God. He's happy as long as you're moving in a direction that's not towards God. And it's away from following what God has revealed to us in the Bible. So, again, this is not my opinion. Here's what 
the Bible says, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls and its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. We're talking about bait. There's one piece of bait. Blessed is a man who remains steadfast in the face of said bait under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, because God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So very, very important thing there. Okay, It's easy to miss. God never tempts us. He cannot be tempted by evil. He does not tempt us. So where does temptation come from? Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it is fully grown, bring forth, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. <clears throat> Let's go to the next slide. So here, I've kind of given you a, a simple schematic of how the process of temptation works. So as we see there in James 1, temptation is an enticement to not follow God's word. So any, anything, any message that you hear in the movies or on the radio or in your conversations with your friends or even just voices in your head that come up or thoughts, right? What do we call these? Intrusive thoughts, right? There's even a word now. That's just a devil. <laughs> That's a temptation. It comes in many forms. And its ultimate goal, as many forms as there are, it's always to entice you to what? Not follow God's word. To not be a child of God. And to be instead a child of the devil. So then, what's next? Now, really quickly, temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. Because Jesus himself was tempted. And yet was without sin. So, is it a sin to be tempted? No. How do we know this? Because I said so? No, because the Bible said so. So Jesus was tempted in every way, and yet he was without sin. When it does turn into sin is when you give in to that temptation. And it conceives, as James 1 says, and then it conceives and gives birth to sin, which is simply not following God's way. And then sin grows. Sometimes sin grows just by repeated, that, repeating that same sin over and over, and it grows and it grows. And you've basically demarcated an area of your life saying, God, I want you to bless my finances. I want you to bless my family. I want you to bless my health. But this part of my life, I know what you want, but I'm not going to do it. And basically, you've cordoned off that part of your life for the devil. Now, when we understand that Christianity is about not a religion and works, and, but it's about a covenant relationship, a living relationship with Yahweh, you can then begin to see why this does not work. You cannot say, I love you in these areas of my life, and I want your blessing in these areas, but not this one. This is my area. That's not love. 
That's not belonging. And so it grows and it grows and it results in death. <clears throat> now, there's also another process though, and this is one is a good one. The next one, please. Um, let's go back to the Bible verses. Oh, I guess we, we don't have it. Nope. It's okay. Let's go back to the, um, to the, the, the process. There we go. Okay. Next one. So that's a process of temptation. Here is next one. This is a process for growth. And that's in James 1, 18 through 26, if you want to read it. But you can write it down and read it later if you want. But here's what James 1, 18, 26 lays out for us. In that same chapter, it lays out the process of temptation. It also lays out the process of growth and sanctification, which is just another word for becoming more and more like Christ, becoming more and more of who you are to be. So it begins with God's word. It always begins with God's words, guys. And then we're born as a child of God. We're the first fruits. Christ is the very first fruit, and then he, through faith in him, we become born again as children of God. And then as we are children of God, remember John chapter 8, you cannot hear me because you're not of me, right? You're not of the Father. But once we become of the Father, now we can hear God's word. And we, as we hear God's word, James chapter 1 says, Be ye not only hearers of God's word, but also doers. Good, some of you know, right? So hear it and then follow it. And then you will be blessed. Um, it's actually worth going there. So let's go to James 1. And... I want you to see that with your own eyes so that it'll kind of get into your memory. This is part of equipping yourself with the word so that you can be a more effective spiritual battler. James 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because when we do, you're deceiving yourselves, it says. The father of lies makes sense, right? That how, that's how he's going to deceive us, by just hearing the word. And by hearing the word, we think everything's good. No, you've got to be doers of the word too. Faith is completed. We are saved by faith, not by works, but your faith is completed in action. That's scripture as well. For anyone, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. When we hear the word and forget or don't do the word, what's happening is you're forgetting who you are. You're a child of God. And God has given you his word. And as a child belonging to this father, we will follow him. But when we don't follow him, when we don't, when we only hear it and don't do it, we're forgetting who we are. Like look in the mirror and we forget the face. Following the things that our sinful nature desires will eventually lead us into things that we very much don't desire, ultimately death. Let me say that again. Following the things that our sinful natures desire 
will eventually lead us into a place that is very undesired. There's a... I'm not going to spend as much time on this next part um, as I was planning, but it is worth talking about. <clears throat> Can we... Uh, next, next slide. Um, so this is talking about, as believers, as children of God, what, do we, what, what does the Bible tell us to do? It tells us to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised this is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Let us not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Hebrews 10, 27. Look into God's words, and if, if you see that your life is not following God's word, then turn into the direction of following God's word. Very very simple, but as we all know, including myself, sometimes very hard to do. Um, for, you know, as we look at, as we think about the children of God, children of the devil, it seems like there's two categories, which is true. But I want to take a little sidebar here because I do think this is important. That there's a subcategory. There's children of God, children of the devil, and under children of God, it's children of God who are being naughty. <laughs> children of God who are being rebellious. And again, I've, I've been there more times than I'd like to recall or admit. And so the question, one of the questions that you should naturally kind of be thinking or this leads to is, huh, if a, children, if a child of God is being rebellious, can they lose their salvation? Can they lose their crown of life? The Bible promises a crown of life for anyone who believes, right? Um, the answer is no. You cannot. If you are truly, if you have genuine faith in the gospel, in the gospel of Christ, then your, your, your seal cannot be broken. The crown of life cannot be taken from you. You cannot lose it. But... There is a subcategory. As a child of God, if you continually live in sin, like it says there in Hebrews, you continually live not like a child of God, but as a child of, of the devil, your life resembles that more. Your life works will be burned away and you will suffer loss at judgment day. Again, I'm not saying this out of my own mind. This comes from 1 Corinthians 3. Write that down. You can read it yourself at home. Um, I encourage you to do so. The person who does this, who is a true believer, they themselves will be saved and receive life, but they will only be saved as through fire. So you have a child of God who truly believes, but they're living a life that does not align with God's word, and it's habitual, and they don't have any desire to live as a child of God, their life looks more like the child of the devil, 
In God's eyes, if that person is saved, that's very important. If that person is, his name is in the book of life and he's saved, then 1 Corinthians 3 tells us he will be saved, but only as one through fire. And he will suffer loss of all his life works. I think when I read that and really began to understand that, the proper reaction is like, dang, I got to look myself in the mirror, right? I got to examine my life because I don't want to be caught by surprise on judgment day. I know I'm a believer because I believe that Jesus is Lord and that he resurrected and God promises whoever does that, he will be saved. But if my life is not aligned to God's word and I'm continually living like a child of the devil, yes, I may be saved, but all my life work will be burned up. I will suffer loss on the capital D judgment day that says it right in 1 Corinthians 3. Again, go look it up. I encourage you to. I hope you do. And you will suffer loss and all your life works will be burned up although you yourself will be saved, but only as one through fire. That doesn't... I don't want that. <laughs> I don't know about you, right? Nobody wants that. But I wonder how many of us are caught in that subcategory. That's the spiritual battle. And why I'm excited is there's good news. There's good news. You can break free of all of that. You have been given all the needed and more than sufficient, more than adequate weaponry to have victory in your spiritual battles. And so, I know there's been a lot of bad news, but it's, hey, it's reality. You know, don't kill the messenger. It's just truth. But here's another truth. Here's a good news. And for that, I want to take you to Mark 5. Um, so, AV team, we don't have that, but if, Oh, yeah, take, take that off for now. Okay, Mark 5. <clears throat> Here's a story of someone who is going through a spiritual battle. And then let's see what happens. Mark chapter 5. <clears throat> they came to the other side of the sea. This is Jesus and uh, you know, the crowd. To the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. The Greek word is daimonazio, okay? So it's, it's where we get the word demonized. So um, this man is demonized. He's, he's under the influence of an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And so Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on a the hillside, and they begged him, 
saying, send us to the pigs. This is legion. We are many, the unclean spirits. Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000 pigs, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see. Of course, they're going to come to see, right? Because this is what is going on. They came to see what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and now in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen this described to them what had happened to the, uh, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. Now, understand, this, this man is famous in this region. They know who this man is. And so now all of a sudden to see him in his right mind, something's going on. They began to beg Jesus, the people did, to depart from their region. What an interesting reaction, right? You just healed this demon-possessed man who's cutting himself and screaming and, and he's just crazy. You healed him. Can you please leave? As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might be with him. And he did not per permit him, but he said to him and said, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Brothers and sisters, this is why when God does something in your life, he did it for you, and he did, he did it because he loves you, but he also did it so that you could be a living book, a living testimony for the people around you. Share what God has done in your life like this man. And so we see this man living under the captivity of unclean spirits. He's a child of the devil. And as a child of the devil, let's take stock. He was unable to form or maintain any kind of life-giving friendship or relationship because people just were scared of him. So what does that mean? He's isolated. He's lonely. He's been stripped of his community. Have you ever felt that? He's also in this disordered, unnatural strait. He has this freakish strength. You might think that's cool, but if you've ever seen those origin you know, movies or stories of comic book characters, the first thing that happens is what? They freak out, right? This is not normal. I got spider webs coming out of my fingertips and, you know, I, I can see through things and, and I can hear things. And it's, 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 it's actually not a good thing. It's chaos. It's disordered. If God wanted you to be like that, he would have made you like that in the first place. So he's experiencing this supernatural strength, which is not a good thing. It's not according to his design state. And then we see self-mutilation, which, you know, as more and more research has been coming out, we realize self-mutilation, cutting, all of that, which is happening. How interesting, right? Something that is happening today is talked about 2,000 years ago. It's because the spirits are the same. The struggle is the same. The battle is the same. Just the people are different. And in the self-mutilation is really a physical manifestation of a spiritual battle. 
you're experiencing self-loathing. You're experiencing depression. You have a profound emptiness in your soul, and so you need something to remind you that you're actually there. Anybody resonate with any of those in some way? That's just one example of the undesirable state of a person who's held captive by the devil and separated from Yahweh. But look at who delivers this poor, suffering man. Jesus Christ. That's how he's delivered. I'm going to end with this uh, story. We read this uh, Mark chapter 5 and we think, this is, you know, a long time ago. That, this doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> I wish it didn't, but sadly it still does. These spiritual battles that I'm talking about, all the subtle ones, but also these dramatic ones happen even today. A few years ago, I was pastoring at another church, and uh, we'll just call them uh, Bob and Ann. There was a young married couple. Um, they didn't want to have children until a few years you know, of marriage so that they could travel and enjoy. Um, then when it came time to having, you know, were to the point where they wanted children, they started trying, but they couldn't. And they even had, a, um, unfortunately, a miscarriage, which was really sad uh, for, for all of us, you know, all of us at the church. But then, after this miscarriage, they started getting angry at God. I think I can relate to that. I've been angry at God. And they stopped coming to church as a result. They stopped coming to church for two months, and for no other reason than just because they were angry at God, they were angry at the church. A few weeks into that period, I called them up because I know what happens, what can happen when somebody who's a child of God does not live according to being a child of God. Nothing good ever happens. But they ignored. And so um, I got a call um, Several weeks after that, this was like late at night, past midnight, I think, very late. And when I saw the number ID, uh, it was from you know, the, the wife, this woman, and I knew immediately, this is any call at like 1 a.m. is not a good call. And so uh, she proceeds to tell me what's going on, and this is what ha is happening. Uh, Pastor Young, I don't know what's going on, but uh, Bob... He actually got sent home from work today because he was acting really strange and I don't know what to do. And, and they were scared of what, was, what he was saying and doing, so they sent him home early. And he, as soon as he got home, he started like emptying out the refrigerator and eating everything in sight. Now, what you need to know about Bob is he is the most, literally, I don't know anyone in my entire life who's more quiet than Bob. The only time he talks is when you ask him a question. He never volunteers and he never initiates a conversation. He's just a very quiet guy. Nothing bad about that. That's just who he is. But then as Anne is telling me about what Bob's doing, he's saying, Bob is just talking like crazy. He's like, talk, he's calling me names. He's, he never did stuff like that. It's like, oh, man. As I'm listening, like, here we go. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be over. And then I have to tell Christy I'm going to be gone because it's the middle of the night. And then she says, she's at this point, I think, seven months pregnant. She's like out to here. 
And she goes, honey, I want to go with you. I'm like, Chrissy, are you crazy? We, we know what this is. We've, we've seen this before, and we have. We've seen this like multiple, multiple times, this kind of thing occur in people. And what we need to do to help this person. And I say, no, you're not going, especially because you have a baby. And, you know, we don't want any kind of, like, spirits affecting that baby. And then Chrissy says something I'll never forget. She said, honey, I have the blood of Jesus covering me. I don't have anything to worry about. And I said, yeah, amen to that, right? And I said, okay, I don't have anything to worry about either. You can come. Because I knew I was going to need a team. So she's coming with me out to here with baby like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., some ungodly hour. And um, we get there, and we start talking to him, and we start talking to her. She's talking, Chrissy's talking to her, and I'm talking to the husband. And the wife is telling us that, you know, she didn't want to, um, he, she didn't want him to play any praise music as he was trying to comfort himself through the miscarriage. And, and so... Um, she, she, she was angry, so she didn't want to hear, hear that. And so she told him not to do that, not to play worship music. We're not going to go to church. He was saying, you know, I need to go, but because my wife is telling me I'm not going to go, it was just a big mess. And then he started doing stuff that we had never seen him do. Um, he was like, I literally, like I said, he's the most quietest guy. And then he starts talking like a used car salesman. He was just, hey, young, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. Where have you been? I'm like, I, well, you haven't been to church, and I haven't seen you, and you didn't want to take my visits or my calls. Oh, yeah, don't worry about that, man. He was like, it was like totally out of character. And then he starts calling his wife names, and then I tell him, Bob, you can't do that. Stop doing that. And so I kind of knew what had been happening, and so I said, Bob, you need to forgive your wife. And as I said that, something happened to Bob, something flipped and the Bible says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't harbor anger and bitterness because you will then give a foothold to the enemy. And that's what had happened against his wife and against various people. All the things he wanted to say against his wife, but he was too afraid to. So he bottled it all in. And eventually he broke. He literally broke. And so then he just flipped. And now all of a sudden, he starts talking in these voices that, you know, the kids are here now. I'm not going to go into <laughs> the actual sound that he was making. He was soiling himself. It was an ugly, ugly mess. And at a certain point, I had asked people from our church to come and pray. And I said, you, you read the Bible. You just read the Bible, read it out loud, because we need the truth to be read here and to oppose and to battle the, the father of lies. You, you're going to sing, and you're going to sing worship songs. And what are worship songs? It's the words of the Bible. Put the music. Some more Bible. You, I want you to just pray. Just pray. And what are you going to pray? Pray the Bible. So everything's about God's word, because it's about truth, fighting the father of lies. And as we're doing this, we're praying, and I'm praying. It's getting very intense. And all of a sudden... <clears throat> I, I got to say this because this is, this is what happened, and, and you need to know the reality. He goes, Young, you need to stop talking about forgiveness. If you don't, 
I'm going to get a knife, and I'm going to get, I'm going to go over to your wife, I'm going to cut her belly open, and I'm going to kill that baby inside. <laughs> That's literally what he said. This is a, a guy I've known for years. And he said this to me, and I knew it wasn't him. I knew it was this unclean spirit in him. And so I laughed, actually, inside, and I said out loud to him, that's a lie from the father of lies, and my father is Yahweh, and the blood of his son covers my wife, and it covers my baby, and Jesus has all authority over her and all authority here, and because of our faith in Christ's blood, you cannot touch her. And then he says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If I didn't be- see it, I wouldn't believe it. I know what some of you are thinking. This is what happened. Spiritual battles are happening in every person's life. We just aren't aware. And when we battle the devil, we got to battle with the truth. And the only truth, the real truth, there's no other truth. All this nonsense these days about, I'm going to tell my truth, you're going to tell your truth. No, those are just your stories. This is the truth. Amen? Amen. And that's how you battle. You battle with the Word, because the Word is a sword of the Spirit. And after this went on for about seven hours, guys, and it was hard. (laughs) But eventually, he was delivered. And today, this couple who was mad at God for the miscarriage and stopped going to church, and then this happened because of it. They now have two kids, and they go to church, and they embrace as best they can that they are children of God. And all that happened because of Jesus Christ, who is the power above all powers, the deliverer from evil, our Savior. So those are the weapons you can ask me for that um, later, but it's the Word, it's the church, it's worship, it's prayer. The foundation is always the Bible, the Word. You may be wondering why I've been calling it a spiritual battle instead of spiritual warfare. It's because the war's already been determined. Jesus has already won. 1 John 3, 8 and 16 announced that victory. It says the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? If you have the works of the devil in your life, if you have bondage in your life today, you have good news. Jesus can destroy the works of the devil. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Verse 16, By this we know love, that Christ laid down his life for us. That is the foundation of your identity that will free you from the works of the enemy, from his clutches, from his trap, from the bait, from being a child of the devil, and will launch you into the glory, into the freedom, into the life and light and truth of Yahweh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's pray. I gave you a lot of examples of spiritual battles. 
Is there something that you would like to bring to Jesus like we see in the Bible where people come to Jesus with some kind of bondage, some kind of unclean spirit having hold in their life and you just want, I, I want to get rid of this, Jesus. So I come to you just like you show me in your word. In Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 9, I want to come to you like 1 John 3. Destroy the works of the devil. Destroy this one area of bondage. Break the chains. Ask God. If you don't know what that area, ask God. God, see if there's any impure way in me and free me from it. From it. I trust in your love. I trust that you love me. He is gentle, but he is powerful. So in faith, go to Jesus like this demon-possessed man in Mark 5 did and know that you will find deliverance and freedom and truth and his shalom. Take some time to do that.